Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books that you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. This is stolen land. Treaty was never reached in Australia. Today, I am joined again by Brianna Devlin. We are going to bring you part two of her conversation about Honeyblood. Brianna, look, welcome. Welcome back. Hey, Andrew. I'm glad to be back. How's it going? It's going really well. So you've had this incredible conversation with Kirsty about her story, her um, battle with childhood cancer, and what that has meant for her life. We heard a little bit about the initial diagnosis and Kirsty's burgeoning career as an Olympic class gymnast. Brianna, what do we have coming up in part two of your conversation? Well, in the previous one, we talked about her first diagnosis. So the second one, we'll be talking about her second diagnosis when she was 16 and also the impact that it had on high school and even after that, just recovering and before university as well. It is an absolutely gripping conversation. I've been privileged enough to have a listen already. Uh, Look, if you haven't already listened, I would suggest going back and checking out part one of Brianna's conversation with Kirsty. But join us as we explore part two of Kirsty Everett and Honeyblood. I had been in remission and I had been totally fine. Like I had been super healthy, fit, strong for four and a half years. I knew for a couple of months before I relapsed that I was going to relapse. My, I, I just had this awful feeling in my gut. Um, I was real. I lost a lot of weight. I couldn't eat. Um, I sort of felt really fuzzy and dreamy, sort of like I was drugged um, a lot of the time. But I didn't, you know, I didn't go to my mum and dad and say, hey, like, I think I'm getting cancer again. Um, And I even, um, I had like a, you know, a regular checkup, you know, that I went to and they tested my blood and I was expecting, oh, here we go. Like, this is the relapse. And they said, no, your blood's normal. Um, then I, um, I had a different oncologist the second time. Um, her name was Dr. Sue Russell. She is a genius. Um, she said, we might just check your spinal fluid. She said, I'd be really surprised if you've relapsed, you know, like it's been four and a half years and your blood looks normal, but I've just, you know, let's just check your spinal fluid just to kind of see, you know, let's just check. And she checked and then she came back and she said, I'm really sorry. Yeah, you have relapsed. And yeah, I was like, like I I was expecting the news, but that didn't mean that it didn't kind of punch me in the guts pretty hard to, to actually hear it be confirmed for me. So they call it, um, they called it a late relapse, which just, that's like the doctor way of saying um, we weren't expecting this to happen and this is kind of bad because usually if you're going to relapse, um, 
you know, with childhood um, cancers, it's, I mean, obviously there's exceptions to everything. Um, I want to be careful with some of these generalizations sometimes when I talk about cancer because I don't want to offend or upset anybody if I get something wrong. But it was considered a late relapse. Like People used to say, oh, if you make five years um, of remission, then you can say you're cured. And I think it might have been Kylie Minogue who was like, no, that's wrong. I think she got, I think she got hit twice after like seven and a half years or something. And how did it feel when you found out? So I was just about to start... It was, it was January. I was just about to start year 11. Um, and I sort of, it, it sounds like such a strange way to explain it, but part of me felt sort of ripped off. I thought, hang on a minute. I had cancer as a kid. I have been living life to the full. I, I thought that was maybe the lesson that I was supposed to learn. So haven't I proven to the universe, look, look, I'm really grateful to be alive. Like, look at all the stuff I'm doing. Um and then I, you know, part of me was thinking, okay, well, maybe, you know, was there something I didn't learn the first time you know, that I need to learn the second time? And then the most awful thought came to me was that, uh, you know, and this is something that I'm pretty sure is generally kind of what people say about childhood cancers is that, you know, when you get it a second time and you're still, you know, a child or a young person, it usually means you're going to die. Um, most of, and, and I talk about this in the book, um, you know, um, pretty much everybody that knew me when I got cancer the second time and, uh, yeah, people thought that I would die because that's usually what happens to, to young people with cancer. Like surviving a relapse is, is a, a rare and very, very difficult thing. How does that impact relationships with your friends and family? Um, it was it was really interesting. People often say that um, when you know there's a challenge, that it's um, character building, and I kind of think that maybe when a challenge happens like that, um, it's more sort of character. Um, it reveals um, who people really are, like what what's really inside them it's not sort of it's yeah um it's kind of I don't know does that make sense <laughs> um yeah it uh I had I had some absolutely incredible friends um at high school I also had an incredible bunch of friends that I had been doing lots of theater projects with so they were all so supportive and absolutely fantastic um, my, my family were, you know, we, we addressed it the same way that we did the first time, which was, okay, this is awful, but we are going to push forward. We are going to keep living life. Um, you know, my, my poor siblings, I don't think, um, they ever got many days off school because of me. Like it was like, no, your sister's sick, but you have to keep going. And I had to keep moving forward as well. Um, there are a few people who are close to me that, um, it, um, I were talking all earlier about, you know, sometimes fear, um, can, you know, bring out a little bit of ugliness in people. So there were a couple of people quite close to me, um, that, um, yeah, it, it showed things about their kind of character that was, it was quite hurtful for me to watch 
but also, you know, in saying that, um, I'm I'm not those people. I don't know what it was like from their point of view. And, um, yeah, like cancer and death, are, you know, these two things that are tied together and they can be absolutely terrifying for people that are, are close to that. So, um, yeah, so for the most part... Um, yeah, friends, family were awesome. Um, but yeah, not, not everyone was as wonderful as what I would have liked. But, um, yeah, I, I write about the friends that were brilliant. Um, I couldn't include all of them. There was a lot of them. There's going to be, um, I feel bad. There's going to be a lot of disappointed people, um, from my past that are going to be like, oh, hey, you didn't mention me. <laughs> like, um, but, uh, yeah, the friends that were really special and really supportive, they're in the book and, they've, you know, I've spoken to them because some of them too have their photograph in the book as well. So I had to make sure that they were okay to be identified. Was it quite a similar situation? No. So the second time was different. The second time they couldn't treat me in the same way. I needed a bone marrow transplant, but... There was no match on the bone marrow registry and there was no match in any family members. So my oncologist, uh, Dr. Sue Russell, kind of had to come up with a three-year chemo plan um, to help get me back into remission. And there was a lot of trial and error in terms of getting the right mixture of drugs. So there were things that... There were certain drugs she wanted to give me, um, but I would have really terrible reactions to. So she would have to go back to the drawing board. And like I said, she was a genius. She would always come back and be like, okay, this isn't working. We're going to do this instead. Um, so, yeah, she's, you know, I, I'm just amazed at, at how incredible her mind um, must be. Um, to um yeah to have been able to keep my body alive the second time when yeah that um you know I needed a transplant that was my best chance at surviving but the three years of chemo was essentially the well this is the plan B that we're kind of thinking you know probably maybe is not going to work but we're we're going to give it a go anyway um so I'm obviously eternally grateful um, to her for, um, yeah, for being the person that could keep my body alive when the odds, um, the odds were certainly not in my favour the second time around. So the first time I was diagnosed, um, it was around um, about a 70% chance of survival. And the second time, I think it was about 17% chance of surviving. So, wow. um, yeah, <laughs> so the second time was definitely a lot harder and obviously, yeah, being a 16-year-old and being told you have to have three years of chemo and knowing that people are not expecting you to make it, um, that was, yeah, unfathomably kind of difficult to, to sort of process and then figure out a way to kind of, okay, let's, we've got to do this. Like you, you have to keep pushing. You've done it before. I know it's kind of different, but you know, you, you just have to keep pushing. So you were in chemo for three years, were you? Mm-hmm. So the till, second time, yes. So yep. till you were 19. Gosh. And 
What was it like going through the HSC and being in and out of hospital? Was it something that was a priority? Did you have any idea of what you wanted to do? Yes. So um, what happens um, with so with uh, children, teenagers, when you get diagnosed with cancer, one of the things that does come up is, okay, what are you going to do about school? Because obviously your health is the priority um, and you get given the option to take a break from school. Um, you get given the option to do homeschooling. Um, both times that I was on uh, chemo, I was determined to um, keep going to school and to keep doing, you know, everything as normal as I possibly could. Um, and like I said, I had, you know, I had really great friends in high school, so they would, you know, if I missed school, they would give me their notes. I remember, you know, one of my friends in the book, I talk about, you know, how they would give me their notes. Um, also the teachers, um, you know, the teachers from my primary school and my high school were fantastic in terms of, you know, um, some of them would even drop off work like at our house because I would ask for it. I would say I want to keep up. Um, I did my HSC while I was on chemo. Um, I did really well. I don't want to say what mark I got because it's in the book and I don't want to spoil it, but I I did incredibly well. Um, And, um, yeah, there's a lot of teenagers out there who can often find a lot of excuses for not studying and I think I've just obliterated every excuse they they could ever come up with because if I can do it, while I had cancer and my body was kind of dying, um, then I think I think most other teenagers, sorry guys, you don't have any excuses. You um you need to you need to get to work. <laughs> I have a couple of cousins who are do- who are going to be doing the HSC this year, and um, one of them he doesn't apply himself. So when I get this book, I'm going to slap it down in front of me. I said, read this, get your act together. You're a smart boy, no excuses. And I think there are parents who are going to do. The same thing. But oh, gosh. Um, see, now I'm worried. I'm going to get mocked. Oh, like, no. Your 11 and 12 students going, why did you have to reveal the truth? Like, no. <laughs> why couldn't you say that you dropped out of school? <laughs> um, but, yeah, and as well, too, because there was this sort of, you know, it was almost like people are expecting you to die. So it was like, well, hang on. I'm going to show you wrong. I'm, I'm Not only am I not going to die, but I'm going to keep going to school and I'm going to do my very best. And yeah, I, yeah, even now, like I, like sometimes people say, how did you do it? And I'm like, I don't really know. I just, I just got it done. Like I just kept pushing and, and I'm glad that I did that. Um, Yeah. And I think, um, I think you also mentioned like, did I think about, you know, after HSC, obviously, because I was so sick, um, I, one of the things that I, when I finished chemo um, for the second time, I sort of, I didn't feel like there was pressure for me to, to choose like a specific career path. Um, I, when I sort of finished those three years of chemo, I was, my body was really, really wiped out. And um, I, one of the reasons why I chose, and I do not regret it at all, one of the best things I ever did was a Bachelor of Arts degree. Um, Arts degrees get a really bad bad rap. They do. um, It was 
the best thing I ever did. And I did it because I was sort of like, it was almost like, hang on, I've just got to ground myself. I've just come through like a really awful time. Um, just been through hell. Um, do you know what? I'm going to go to uni and I'm just going to study anything and everything that I find interesting. So it was an incredible time. I got to study philosophy and, you know, English and performance studies and sociology and anthropology and psychology. And I got to study all of these different things, which, you know, um, you know, I'm, I am kind of a nerd. Like I, I love learning. Like I would be a student forever if, if someone would let me, (laughs) maybe I can be, (laughs) maybe that'll be my next thing to do. Um, but, um, yeah, I did a bachelor of arts and it also helped me figure out you know, what I was the most passionate about. Um, and yeah, a lot of people, you know, they kind of go, oh, an arts degree doesn't doesn't lead you straight to a career. But I tell you what, it certainly, um, it, it helps you um, to perhaps guide you to a career that might be the best suited for you, you know, for a whole lifetime. So, um, and also like as a nerd, I think learning about anything that you don't already have knowledge of, I, I think it's never a waste to, um, to make your brain a little bit more powerful, smarter, know some stuff that you didn't know previously. So, um, yeah, and that decision was made because I was a little bit scared. I was like, oh, is the cancer going to get me a third time? Like, and you know, but um, it didn't, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, so it did kind of, in terms of affecting, I guess, study choices, it, it affected the university choice. But like I said, it was the best thing, one of the best things I ever did. Like more people should do arts degrees. Like they get a really bad rap um, and they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely agree and how important was having that focus at that time for you and as you said you learned so many things and you got to dabble in so many different things but you were saying before how important it was that that gave you a focus yeah it did it gave me a focus to kind of um you know after you know being in hospital and you know pretty much sort of you know, I, I, I had my little four and a half year reprieve from hospital, but such a huge amount of time, you know, with growing up was spent, you know, in hospitals around like death and, you know, all those awful things. And it was, it was honestly a luxury to just, it was almost like, you know, getting to study something, you know, like poetry you know doing doing some subject that was just focused on poetry it was like this indulgence like binging on like a chocolate cake or something it was like this is such an amazing thing to do after being through hell um it was so good to you know to just lose myself in you know knowledge and um and especially too you know um you know, at university, you you have these people teaching you where their subject, that's their life, and they're so passionate, and it was so good to um to be nurtured by people who just totally loved whatever it was they were teaching you. It was it was this luxury, it was an indulgence, um, and it was sort of this reassuring kind of okay. I'm still here, I'm alive, like I'm enjoying studying and I'm not quite sure what career or what job I'm going to do yet, 
but let's just get my body a little bit healthier and stronger before I kind of choose um, something specific like law or social work. And was university something that you went into straight away? No. So my body, like I said, when I um, finished those three years, um, my body was in pretty bad shape. Um, And I think, yeah, I think because I went to Sydney University and I remember filling out the the form, like saying that I wanted to defer for for one year. I remember doing that paperwork. So I remember filling out the reason why. And I remember thinking, Oh, I really hope they let me. Like for some reason, I thought, oh, it's like having like cancel. I was like, is that a good enough excuse? Just because I was like, oh, I've got into Sydney Uni. Like that's amazing. Like that's such a big deal. Oh, oh if I say I don't want to come, like just yet, and I want to wait a year, like will they say no? Like, um, but I remember filling out that paperwork and, um, yeah, and just being relieved that you know I could have a year to. Yeah, like I said, my body was in quite bad shape um, and, yeah, had to sort of, um, yeah, spend some time looking after it um, because, yeah, it had, it had been through so much. I'd like to think that that's a good – if that's not a good enough reason, I don't know what is. <laughs> well, yeah, they did accept my reason. There was, there was, no, there was no issue with deferring. They, Sydney University were – they were totally fine with that. <laughs> and I imagine if there was a re- – I don't know if it was – I'm assuming it was a form where there were boxes with – I don't know if it was like you had to write a sentence or tick a box where it was like other and you probably thought, well, where do I begin yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Do you know what? I remember there was a box and it was uh, – they had reasons and there yeah, I think – oh, actually, they might have had a box for like health reasons maybe. But I remember thinking there was only a really short amount of space for writing and I remember thinking – oh, I think I need more than like two sentences for this. <laughs> um, I think if you put just one word, I think it would be, would have been enough because I couldn't imagine what would have been running through your head when you saw that. <laughs> um, I was just like, oh, oh, okay. Um, yeah, but yeah the, the challenge was, oh, okay, the word count on this is really short. Like, <laughs> um, So I ended up doing... Um, a Bachelor of Teaching and I majored in um, English um, Drama and Aboriginal Studies. So um, I think uh, with the epilogue, I think that was a suggestion. Um, Harper Collins has been so incredible to me and my editor, um, Mary Rennie, who kind of like has overseen everything. Um, she said, oh, you should kind of like people will want to know, like let them know, like, you know, you, you kind of didn't, pick a career straight away but you know um so I let people know what um yeah what career I sort of ended up going with for a while um but now it looks like I've ended up being a writer and a teacher um so yeah um and the writing's great fun and I'd like to keep doing it um I've got yeah I need to have a new bucket list now because this was like one of the the hardest things I've had to tick off and I've done it now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm still, it's still hard to believe it's real. I have to keep holding on to the book and going, oh my gosh, like I actually pulled this off. Like this is really cool. What do you want people to feel when they read your book? The human, the human body and the human mind are capable of so much more than we realise Um, and there is, I mean, in all sorts of things, not just with cancer, like 
there are times in our lives when we think, I cannot go on, I cannot get through the next five minutes, um, I can't keep pushing, this hurts, I can't bear this any longer. Um, I, I believe wholeheartedly because I've lived through it, um, you can push yourself further than what you realize. Like your body can take it, your mind is capable. Um, yeah, and I want people to kind of, yeah, just know that, you know, things are only impossible if you keep telling yourself that they're impossible. Um, and the other thing is, um, uh, I guess, just the importance of empathy in a general sense. Um, I think, uh, you know, this comes up in the book and um, I just think, especially too, in light of the year that we just had last year, my goodness, I think it's really important just for just for everybody to remember that when you, you know, encounter people or interact with them, whether they're your best friends, your family, you know, strangers, you know, someone who's in line with you getting a coffee, um, you know, you don't ever really know what somebody else is going through. Um, and I think uh, empathy is really important and trying to perhaps spend a little bit more time focusing on, hang on, let's not think so much about myself and maybe think about other people. And I think if it'd be really nice if everyone could perhaps try a little bit harder to put themselves in this, like the shoes of other people um, and just practice empathy a little bit more. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they're my two things. Mm-hmm. The impossible is possible. And yeah, um, just to have a think about the amount of empathy that you, that you have and that you actually, you know, practice in your life. And yeah, that's it. Um, and definitely want people to know the book. Like it's not, I know it's about cancer, so people might think, oh, I don't want to read that. But look, I promise it's not It's not depressing. It's not a pity party. Um, you know, obviously there are like sad things, but there's funny stuff as well. Like there's some really, <laughs> there were some really funny moments. Um, and yeah, I wrote about those. So yeah. I just want to thank you so much for giving me a chance to have a chat, Kirsty. I really appreciate it. I've learned so much. Thank you for being so lovely. Like it, it helps because I'm like really, really nervous and just a kind of new territory. So thank you for being, yeah, you've been really lovely. So it makes it easier. That's it for this great conversation with Brianna Devlin featuring Kirsty Everett's book, Honey Blood. Look, Brianna, thank you so much for coming in and bringing us uh, this incredible memoir. It's been an absolute pleasure, Andrew. Thank you. And thank you to Kirsty as well. Thank you very much to Kirsty Everett. And look, Brianna, you are welcome anytime. It'd be lovely to have you back on the show. If you want to find out more of Brianna's work, go to 2SER.com and search for Brianna Devlin. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. And today, guest presenting and producing by Brianna Devlin. Stay in touch. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It means a new great conversation every week. This week, three new episodes. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, happy reading.